Chapter 12, Part 3 of Volume 2 of Airplane Flying Handbook FAA-H-8083-3A. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jairus Amar. Airplane Flying Handbook by the FAA Normal Approach and Landing Given the higher cruising speed and frequently altitude of multi-engine airplanes over most single-engine airplanes, the descent must be planned in advance. A hurried, last-minute descent with power at or near idle is inefficient and can cause excessive engine cooling. It may also lead to passenger discomfort, particularly if the airplane is unpressurized. As a rule of thumb, if terrain and passenger conditions permit, a maximum of a 500 FPM rate of descent should be planned. Pressurized airplanes can plan for higher descent rates, if desired. In a descent, some airplanes require a minimum EGT or may have a minimum power setting or cylinder's head temperature to observe. In any case, combinations of very low manifold pressure and high RPM settings are strongly discouraged by engine manufacturers. If higher descent rates are necessary, the pilot should consider extending partial flaps or lowering the landing gear before retarding the power excessively. The descent checklist should be initiated upon leaving cruising altitude and completed before arrival in the terminal area. Upon arrival in the terminal area, pilots are encouraged to turn on their landing and recognition lights when operating below 10,000 feet, day or night, and especially when operating within 10 miles of any airport or in conditions of reduced visibility. The traffic pattern and approach are typically flown at somewhat higher indicated airspeeds in a multi-engine airplane contrasted to most single-engine airplanes. The pilot may allow for this through an early start on the before landing checklist. This provides time for proper planning, spacing, and thinking well ahead of the airplane. Many multi-engine airplanes have partial flap extension speeds above VFE and partial flaps can be deployed prior to traffic pattern entry. Normally, the landing gear should be selected and confirmed down when a beam the intended point of landing as the downwind leg is flown. See figure 12-8. The Federal Aviation Administration, FAA, recommends a stabilized approach concept. To the greatest extent practical, on final approach and within 500 feet AGL, the airplane should be on speed, in trim, configured for landing, tracking the extended center line of the runway, and established in a constant angle of descent towards an aim point in the touchdown zone. Absent unusual flight conditions, only minor correction will be required to maintain this approach to the roundout and touchdown. The final approach 
should be made with power and the speed recommended by the manufacturer. If a recommended speed is not furnished, the speed should be no slower than the single-engine best rate of climb speed, VYSE, until short final or the landing assured, but in no case less than critical engine out minimum control speed, VMC. Some multi-engine pilots prefer to delay full flap extension to short final with the landing assured. This is an acceptable technique with appropriate experience and familiarity with the airplane. In the roundup for landing, residual power is gradually reduced to idle. With the higher wing loading of multi-engine airplanes and with the drag from two windmilling propellers, there will be minimal float. Full stall landings are generally undesirable in twins. The airplane should be held off as with a high-performance single-engine model, allowing touchdown of the main wheels prior to a full stall. Under favorable wind and runway conditions, the nose wheel can be held off for best aerodynamic braking. Even as the nose wheel is gently lowered to the runway center line, continued elevator back pressure will greatly assist the wheel brakes in stopping the airplane. If runway length is critical, or with a strong crosswind, or if the surface is contaminated with water, ice, or snow, it is undesirable to rely solely on aerodynamic braking after touchdown. The full weight of the airplane should be placed on the wheels as soon as practicable. The wheel brakes will be more effective than aerodynamic braking alone in decelerating the airplane. Once on the ground, elevator back pressure should be used to place additional weight on the main wheels and to add additional drag. When necessary, wing flap retraction will also add additional weight to the wheels and improve braking effectivity. Flap retraction during the landing rollout is discouraged, however, unless there is a clear operational need. It should not be accomplished as routine with each landing. Some multi-engine airplanes, particularly those of the cabin class variety, can be flown through the roundout and touchdown with a small amount of power. This is an acceptable technique to prevent high sink rates and to cushion the touchdown. The pilot should keep in mind, however, that the primary purpose in landing is to get the airplane down and stopped. This technique should only be attempted when there is a generous margin of runway length. As propeller blast flows directly over the wings, lift as well as thrust is produced. The pilot should taxi clear of the runway as soon as speed and safety permit, and then accomplish the after-landing checklist. Ordinarily, no attempt should be made to retract the wing flaps or perform other checklist duties until the airplane has been brought to a halt when clear of the active runway. Exceptions to this would be the rare operational needs discussed above, to relieve the weight from the wings and place it on the wheels. In these cases, AFM-POH guidance should be followed. The pilot should not indiscriminately reach out for any switch or control on landing rollout. 
an inadvertent landing gear retraction while meaning to retract the wing flaps may result. Crosswind Approach and Landing The multi-engine airplane is often easier to land in a crosswind than a single-engine airplane due to its higher approach and landing speed. In any event, the principles are no different between singles and twins. Prior to touchdown, the longitudinal axis must be aligned with the runway centerline to avoid landing gear side loads. The two primary methods, crab and wing low, are typically used in conjunction with each other. As soon as the airplane rolls out into final approach, the crab angle to track the extended runway centerline is established. This is coordinated flight with adjustments to heading to compensate for wind drift either left or right. Prior to touchdown, the transition to a side slip is made with the upwind wing lowered and the opposite rudder applied to prevent a turn. The airplane touches down on the landing gear of the upwind wing first, followed by that of the downwind wing, and then the nose gear. Follow through with the flight controls involves an increasing application of aileron into the wind until full control deflection is reached. The point at which the transition from the crab to the side slip is made is dependent upon pilot familiarity with the airplane and experience. With high skill and experience levels, the transition can be made during the roundout just before touchdown. With lesser skill and experience levels, the transition is made at increasing distances from the runway. Some multi-engine airplanes, as some single-engine airplanes, have AFM slash POH limitations against slips in excess of a certain time period. 30 seconds, for example. This is to prevent engine power loss from fuel starvation as the fuel in the tank of the lowered wing flows towards the wingtip away from the fuel pickup point. This time limit must be observed if the wing low method is utilized. Some multi-engine pilots prefer to use differential power to assist in crosswind landings. The asymmetrical thrust produces a yawing moment, little different from that produced by the rudder. When the upwind wing is lowered, Power on the upwind engine is increased to prevent the airplane from turning. This alternate technique is completely acceptable, but most pilots feel they can react to changing wind conditions quicker with rudder and aileron than throttle movement. This is especially true with turbocharged engines, where the throttle response may lag momentarily. The differential power technique should be practiced with an instructor familiar with it before being attempted alone. Short Field Takeoff and Climb The short field takeoff and climb differs from the normal takeoff and climb in the airspeeds and initial climb profile. Some AFM slash POHs give separate short field takeoff procedures and performance charts that recommend specific flap settings and airspeeds. Other AFM slash POHs do not provide separate short field procedures. In the absence of such specific procedures, the airplane should be operated only as recommended in the AFM slash POH. 
no operation should be conducted contrary to the recommendations in the AFM slash POH. On short field takeoffs in general, just after rotation and liftoff, the airplane should be allowed to accelerate to VX, making the initial climb over obstacles at VX and transitioning to VY as obstacles are cleared. See figures 12-9. When partial flaps are recommended for short field takeoffs, many light twins have a strong tendency to become airborne prior to VMC plus 5 knots. Attempting to prevent premature liftoff with forward elevator pressure results in wheelbarrowing. To prevent this, allow the airplane to become airborne, but only a few inches above the runway. The pilot should be prepared to promptly abort the takeoff and land in the event of engine failure on takeoff with landing gear and flaps extended at airspeeds below VX. Engine failure on takeoff, particularly with obstructions, is compounded by the low airspeeds and steep climb attitudes utilized in short field takeoffs. VX and VXSE are often perilously close to VMC, leaving scant margin for error in the event of engine failure as VXSE is assumed. If flaps were used for takeoff, the engine failure situation becomes even more critical due to the additional drag incurred. If VX is less than 5 knots higher than VMC, give strong consideration to reducing useful load or using another runway in order to increase takeoff margins, so that a short field technique will not be required. Short Field Approach and Landing the primary elements of a short field approach and landing do not differ significantly from a normal approach and landing. Many manufacturers do not publish short field landing techniques or performance charts in the AFM POH. In the absence of specific short field approach and landing procedures, the airplane should be operated as recommended in the AFM POH. No operations should be conducted contrary to the AFM slash POH recommendations. The emphasis in a short field approach is on configuration, full flaps, a stabilized approach with a constant angle of descent, and precise airspeed control. As part of a short field approach and landing procedure, some AFM slash POHs recommend a slightly slower than normal approach airspeed. If no such slower speed is published, use the AFM slash POH recommended normal approach speed. Full flaps are used to provide the steepest approach angle. If obstacles are present, the approach should be planned so that no drastic power reductions are required after they are cleared. The power should be smoothly reduced to idle in the roundout prior to touchdown. Pilots should keep in mind that the propeller blast blows over the wings, providing some lift in addition to thrust. Significantly reducing power just after obstacle clearance usually results in a sudden high sink rate that may lead to hard landing. After the short field touchdown, maximum stopping effort is achieved by retracting the wing flaps, adding back pressure to the elevator slash stabilator, 
and applying heavy braking. However, if the runway length permits, the wing flaps should be left in the extended position until the airplane has been stopped clear of the runway. There is always a significant risk of retracting the landing gear instead of the wing flaps when flap retraction is attempted on the landing rollout. Landing conditions that involve either a short field, high winds, or strong crosswinds are just about the only situations where flap retraction on the landing rollout should be considered. When there is an operational need to retract the flaps just after touchdown, it must be done deliberately, with the flap handle positively identified before it is moved. Go around. When the decision to go around is made, the throttles should be advanced to take off power. With adequate airspeed, the airplane should be placed in a climb pitch attitude. These actions, which are accomplished simultaneously, will arrest the sink rate and place the airplane in the proper attitude for transition to a climb. The initial target airspeed will be VY or VX if obstructions are present. With sufficient airspeed, the flaps should be retracted from full to an intermediate position and the landing gear retracted when there is a positive rate of climb and no chance of runway contact. The remaining flaps should then be retracted. See figure 12-10. If the go-around was initiated due to conflicting traffic on the ground or aloft, the pilot should maneuver to the side so as to keep the conflicting traffic in sight. This may involve a shallow bank turn to offset and then parallel the runway slash landing area. If the airplane was in trim for the landing approach when the go-around was commenced, it will soon require a great deal of forward elevator slash stabilator pressure as the airplane accelerates away in a climb. The pilot should apply appropriate forward pressure to maintain the desired pitch attitude. Trim should be commenced immediately. The balked landing checklist should be reviewed as workload permits. Flaps should be retracted before the landing gear for two reasons. First, on most airplanes, full flaps produce more drag than the extended landing gear. Secondly, the airplane will tend to settle somewhat with flap retractions, and the landing gear should be down in the event of an inadvertent momentary touchdown. Many multi-engine airplanes have a landing gear retraction speed significantly less than the extension speed. Care should be exercised during the go-around not to exceed the retraction speed. If the pilot desires to return for a landing, it is essential to reaccomplish the entire before-landing checklist. An interruption to a pilot's habit patterns, such as a go-around, is a classic scenario for a subsequent gear-up landing. The preceding discussion of go-arounds assumes that the maneuver was initiated from normal approach speeds or faster. If the go-around was initiated from a low airspeed, the initial pitch-up to a climb attitude must be tempered with the necessity of maintaining adequate flying speed throughout the maneuver. Examples of where this applies include go-arounds initiated from the landing roundout 
or recovery from a bad bounce, as well as a go-around initiated due to an inadvertent approach to a stall. The first priority is always to maintain control and obtain adequate flying speed. A few moments of level or near-level flight may be required as the airplane accelerates to climb speed. Rejected Takeoff A takeoff can be rejected for the same reasons a takeoff in a single-engine airplane would be rejected. Once the decision to reject a takeoff is made, the pilot should promptly close both throttles and maintain directional control with the rudder, nose wheel steering, and brakes. Aggressive use of rudder, nose wheel steering, and brakes may be required to keep the airplane on the runway, particularly if an engine failure is not immediately recognized and accompanied by prompt closure of both throttles. However, the primary objective is not necessarily to stop the airplane in the shortest distance, but to maintain control of the airplane as it decelerates. In some situations, it may be preferable to continue into the overrun area under control, rather than risk directional control loss, landing gear collapse, or tire-slash-brake failure in an attempt to stop the airplane in the shortest possible distance. Engine Failure After Liftoff a takeoff or go-around is the most critical time to suffer an engine failure. The airplane will be slow, close to the ground, and may even have landing gear and flaps extended. Altitude and time will be minimal. Until feathered, the propeller of the failed engine will be windmilling, producing a great deal of drag and yawing tendency. Airplane climb performance will be marginal or even non-existent, and obstructions may lie ahead. Add the element of surprise and the need for a plan of action before every takeoff is obvious. With loss of an engine, it is paramount to maintain airplane control and comply with the manufacturer's recommended emergency procedures. Complete failure of one engine shortly after takeoff can be broadly categorized into one of three following scenarios. 1. Landing gear down. See figure 12-11. If the engine failure occurs prior to selecting the landing gear to the up position, close both throttles and land on the remaining runway or overrun. Depending upon how quickly the pilot reacts to the sudden yaw, the airplane may run off the side of the runway by the time action is taken. There are really no other practical options. As discussed earlier, the chances of maintaining directional control while retracting the flaps, if extended, landing gear, feathering the propeller, and accelerating are minimal. On some airplanes with a single-engine driven hydraulic pump, failure of that engine means the only way to raise the landing gear is to allow the engine to windmill or to use a hand pump. This is not a viable alternative during takeoff. 2. Landing gear control selected up, single engine climb performance inadequate. See figure 12-12. When operating near or above the single engine ceiling and an engine failure is experienced shortly after liftoff, a landing must be accomplished on whatever essentially lies ahead. 
there is also the option of continuing ahead in a descent as V, Y, S, E with the remaining engine producing power, as long as the pilot is not tempted to remain airborne beyond the airplane's performance capability. Remaining airborne, bleeding off airspeed in a futile attempt to maintain altitude is almost invariably fatal. Landing under control is paramount. The greatest hazard in a single-engine takeoff is attempting to fly when it is not in the performance capability of the airplane to do so. An accident is inevitable. Analysis of engine failures on takeoff reveals a very high success rate of off-airport engine inoperative landings when the airplane is landed under control. Analysis also reveals a very high fatality rate in stall spin accidents when the pilot attempts flight beyond the performance capability of the airplane. As mentioned previously, if the airplane's landing gear retraction mechanism is dependent upon hydraulic pressure from a certain engine-driven pump, failure of that engine can mean a loss of hundreds of feet of altitude as the pilot either windmills the engine to provide hydraulic pressure to raise the gear or raises it manually with a backup pump. 3. Landing gear control selected up, single engine climb performance adequate. See figure 12-13. If the single engine rate of climb is adequate, the procedures for continued flight should be followed. There are four areas of concern. Control, Configuration, Climb, and Checklist. Control. The first consideration following engine failure during takeoff is control of the airplane. Upon detecting an engine failure, aileron should be used to bank the airplane and rudder pressure applied, aggressively if necessary, to counteract the yaw and roll from asymmetrical thrust. The control forces, particularly on the rudder, may be high. The pitch attitude for VYSE will have to be lowered from that of VY. At least 5 degrees of bank should be used, if necessary, to stop the yaw and maintain directional control. This initial bank input is held only momentarily, just long enough to establish or ensure directional control. Climb performance suffers when bank angles exceed approximately 2 or 3 degrees. But obtaining and maintaining VYSE and directional control are paramount. Trim should be adjusted to lower the control forces. Configuration The memory items from the engine failure after takeoff checklist, see figure 12-14, should be promptly executed to configure the airplane for climb. The specific procedures to follow will be found in the AFM slash POH and checklist for the particular airplane. Most will direct the pilot to assume VYSE, set takeoff power, retract the flaps and landing gear, identify, verify, and feather the failed engine. On some airplanes, the landing gear is to be retracted before the flaps. The identify step is for the pilot to initially identify the failed engine. Confirmation on the engine gauges may or may not be possible, depending upon the failure mode. 
identification should be primarily through the control inputs required to maintain straight flight, not the engine gauges. The verify step directs the pilot to retard the throttle of the engine thought to have failed. No change in performance when the suspected throttle is retarded is verification that the correct engine has been identified as failed. The corresponding propeller control should be brought fully aft to feather the engine. Climb. As soon as directional control is established and the airplane configured for climb, the bank angle should be reduced to that producing best climb performance. Without specific guidance for zero side slip, a bank of 2 degrees and one-third to one-half ball deflection on the slip-slash-skid indicator is suggested. VYSE is maintained with pitch control. As turning flight reduces climb performance, climb should be made straight ahead, or with the shallow turns to avoid obstacles, to an altitude of at least 400 feet AGL, before attempting a return to the airport. Checklist Having accomplished the memory items from the engine failure after takeoff checklist, the printed copy should be reviewed as time permits. The securing failed engine checklist, see figure 12-15, should then be accomplished. Unless the pilot suspects an engine fire, the remaining items should be accomplished deliberately and without undue haste. Airplane control should never be sacrificed to execute the remaining checklists. The priority items have already been accomplished from memory. Other than closing the cowl flap of the failed engine, none of these items, if left undone, adversely affects airplane climb performance. There's a distinct possibility of actuating an incorrect switch or control if the procedure is rushed. The pilot should concentrate on flying the airplane and extracting maximum performance. If ATC facilities are available, an emergency should be declared. The memory items in the engine failure after takeoff checklist may be redundant with the airplane's existing configuration. For example, in the third takeoff scenario, the gear and flaps were assumed to already be retracted, yet the memory items include gear and flaps. This is not an oversight. The purpose of the memory items is to either initiate the appropriate action or to confirm that a condition exists. Action on each item may not be required in all cases. The memory items also apply to more than one circumstance. In an engine failure from a go-around, for example, the landing gear and flaps would likely be extended when the failure occurred. The three preceding takeoff scenarios all include the landing gear as a key element in the decision to land or continue. With the landing gear selector in the down position, for example, continued takeoff and climb is not recommended. This situation, however, is not justification to retract the landing gear the moment the airplane lifts off the surface on takeoff as a normal procedure. The landing gear should remain selected down as long as there is usable runway or overrun available to land on. The use of wing flaps for takeoff virtually eliminates the likelihood of a single engine climb until the flaps are retracted. There are two time-tested memory aids the pilot may find useful in dealing with engine-out scenarios. The first, dead foot 
dead engine is used to assist in identifying the failed engine. Depending on the failure mode, the pilot won't be able to consistently identify the failed engine in a timely manner from the engine gauges. In maintaining directional control, however, rudder pressure will be exerted on the side, left or right, of the airplane with the operating engine. Thus, the dead foot is on the same side as the dead engine. Variations on this saying include idle foot, idle engine, and working foot, working engine. The second memory aid has to do with climb performance. The phrase, raise the dead, is a reminder that the best climb performance is obtained with a very shallow bank, about two degrees toward the operating engine. Therefore, the inoperative, or dead engine, should be raised with a very slight bank. Not all engine power losses are complete failures. Sometimes the failure mode is such that partial power may be available. If there is a performance loss when the throttle of the affected engine is retarded, the pilot should consider allowing it to run until altitude and airspeed permit safe single-engine flight, if this can be done without compromising safety. Attempts to save a malfunctioning engine can lead to a loss of the entire airplane. End of chapter 12, part 3 Recording by Jairus Amar